The Business on RT Radio 1 with AIB. We know that your focus is on your business. That's why ours is on supporting you. Now, moving now from multinational tech giants to a sports tech company founded by former Ireland rugby international Andrew Trimble. Andrew is a very familiar face to rugby fans across the island. He played for Ulster 229 times and has 70 caps for Ireland. Since his retirement in 2018, he's also been, also been making a name for himself off the pitch. And in recent weeks, his business Kairos, founded with Gareth Quinn, has been sold to Teamworks a big US uh, multinational firm in this sector. Andrew Trimble, congratulations on the deal. Uh, Was it something you worked towards from the off to get an international company to buy the firm? Uh, Yes, yes, it was. It was was always the plan. Um, I suppose whenever we set out at the start, you know, we would have said, told investors at the time, you know, this is a five, six, seven year plan. Ultimately, we're going to get enough traction to, to be you know valuable to another company out there and, and, and get acquired. We, as much as any founder tells investors that, we really didn't, if anybody digs, asks a follow-up question, we'd have gone, we don't really know. Did you get a very big check? You haven't said how much they paid for the company. <laughs> there was speculation there in the Business Post that it was 15 million pounds sterling, 17 and a half million euro. Yeah, the, the announcement that we put out was um, an undisclosed um, figure. So how you can tell me? We, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you after. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not massively wide of the mark, I suppose, is it? Again, I mean, might not be able to. Actually, I'm not sure if I'm able to comment or not, uh, and it's probably just to keep myself right, just in case I'll not bother. <laughs> well, did you go out and celebrate or buy yourself anything with some of the money? No, not really, to be honest. Um, it's a it's a weird time, and it's it, the second big transition in my life, and the second big kind of moment of you know, it's almost kind of philosophical or emotional, or you know, you find yourself in a little bit of limbo. The last five or six years, I've been just fully committed to to this project, and I've loved it. I've loved the people I've worked with. I've loved the people of um, our, our customers, our team, our engineers, my co-founder. I've learned so much. I've become a different person. And um, just being totally committed, you know, Kairos has been my bread and butter. And um, to move away from that, it's very similar to the, you know, the transition before moving from from sport. I was Andrew, the Ulster rugby player, the Ireland rugby player, and then you know, what are you now? And it's a it's an interesting time. It's it's time to kind of look back and say, right, what's important to me? Where where am I at in my life, and where do I go next? Going back to the start, you're from Coleraine originally. You grew up in Coleraine. Mm-hmm. Were you very interested in sport at an early age? Yeah, I had no option. Uh, my dad was a rugby. It was rugby man. My, do- was my dad was dominant. Rugby was dominant, and um, it was just fortunate. It looks like good parenting now, but it's just fortunate that I ended up being good at rugby. Um, he was he was a proper rugby man. Loved his rugby, and um, I remember at one stage I had a. I was a Man United fan when I was younger and I had a Premier League annual and I came home and my dad had confiscated it and replaced it with an Irish rugby book. Very <laughs> strong hint there. <laughs> yeah, so it worked out well. He looks like... Um, and when you started, were you good at it at an early age? Did, did it feel that it was something you had a real talent for or did you have to really work at that? Uh, I definitely had a, a natural flair, a natural kind of athletic ability, a natural competitiveness and I loved I loved competing. I was... Um, I, yeah, I was... I was I was into it. I was I was always a rugby fan. I was always uh, loved playing rugby, loved watching rugby, being you know, mini rugby with your friends, and then growing up playing rugby through school. I definitely had a period. I, I developed a little bit later, so I had a period of you know whenever I was around 14, 15, 16, all my friends were getting bigger than me, so I st- struggled a little bit. 
and then caught up with them again kind of after that. What was Coleraine like uh, growing up? You were born 1984, so mm-hmm. there would have been the troubles still going on in those early days. There was the, the, the IRA ceasefire in 94, you would have been 10. Were you very aware of all that? I wasn't really. There was the bomb in Korean. Um, uh, went off in, in Moors in, in the pedestrianised um, area in Korean, but, um, you know, uh, that was all the, the troubles really touched touched me in my life anyway. And uh, again, maybe it was my, my mom and dad kind of had a, they were astute enough to shield me and my sisters from it. My sisters were older than me, so maybe they were shielded a little bit less, but certainly I, I, I had no idea of you know, religion, politics. I was, was it not talked about at home at all? Was that sort of part of the way that your your mum and dad dealt with it? Yeah, we there was no no talk of, of anything. I remember at one stage, I remember um, someone asked me if I was a Protestant or a Catholic and I didn't know, <laughs> which um, is kind of, I'm kind of proud that I didn't know. You might have been the only youngster in Northern Ireland who didn't know. <laughs> yeah, well, Korean would be pretty unionist-leaning um, town as well. You know, a lot of Union Jacks around town and um, Union flags around town. But but I, I, I don't know, I didn't really, I didn't really, I spent a lot of time in Port Rush, Port Stewart, you know, seaside towns and a little bit, little bit um, more easy going. Um, we had kind of outdoorsy lifestyle, you know, sport was my thing. Politics and kind of religion weren't really uh, a big part of it. But religion in the sense of being part of one community or not another community or one church or one tribe. Um, but religion was important to you because you you, you studied theology. Mm, yeah, I was interested in, in religion or faith, I suppose, would have had a um, reason, reasonably strong faith as, as a teenager. Yeah, I would have been quite outspoken as as well about, you know, about my faith. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have even kind of categorised that under religion as in the political type of religion or, you know, a kind of personal faith. But, um, yeah. As, this as, was the real thing as opposed to the badge. I suppose, yeah, maybe, yeah, only when you're asking me now, I'd, you know, I'd, would kind of define those differently a little bit in my head, but um, but yeah, like 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 a lot of people, you know, whatever you kind of grow up and life changes and um, per- perspectives change, and uh, and ultimately, you know, that'd be very different for me now as well. And was professional rugby and and getting into it full time was that always on the cards, or had you thought about what you might do career wise? Yeah, and that was it. It was rugby. I just wanted to play rugby. So I, I, as a result, you know, going, went to uni, studied physics for a year, changed across, did theology, did it part time whenever I was playing professional rugby. But the whole the whole way through kind of A-levels, you know, I just thought I want to get, I want to play for Ulster, I want to play for Ireland. And you achieved that and you did that. What What was it like? How important was it for you to play for Ireland for the first time? Oh, it was massive. It was huge. And I, the first time I went to Lansdowne Road was was '96. Um, South Africa played the Barbarians, and that was the first um, game that my my dad brought me to. Came down in the bus with all of the uh, the guys from Korean Rugby Club, and I was already in love with rugby at that stage. And that just kind of I doubled down at that stage. Um, what kind of perceptions did you have of the South and Dublin at that time? I had always I already always had you know connections to the South. Um, through, again, through mini rugby, we travelled the length and breadth. We played tournaments in in Limerick, the Pat Lawler tournament in Limerick, um, Clontarf, and we we hosted guys in Korean tournaments as well. So from from no age, you know, I had a, had a strong connection to the south. So I'd always had a fondness for um, for the south. Rugby does that, and it's, it's kind of unique in that way. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It, it is unique in that way, and and it hasn't always been easy particularly during the Troubles. Mm. But somehow, as a sport and as an organisation, 
it has managed to to hold on to very different identities mm. under the one roof, under the one team. Yeah, and it's 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 lovely, and it's it's um it's a beautiful thing that that rugby was able to to achieve that and, and achieve those connections. And is there always a good relationship among the Ireland players who are in that squad? Because there's huge rivalry among you know the provinces and the teams that are there. Is it is it always good? Is it does does it ever? Uh... It's always good when they're winning. It's always better <laughs> I think it's when a they're blame winning. Blame game, is it? It is when they're losing. Oh well, I mean, any kind of people talk about the, the culture, and I, that's why you know, obviously working in tech and sport as well, and kind of working with a lot of backroom teams, and then having my experience there, I've got a, a few different kind of perspectives on this. But um, if if an environment is unhealthy, then you don't find out about it until they start losing. And that's whenever you realise, okay, this has been festering for a little while. But um, certainly any environments that I've been with, with Ireland, you know, there was, you know, some disappointing periods and, you know, Irish rugby back then certainly wasn't anywhere near as successful as it is now. This is a golden generation of Irish rugby and it's incredible just as a, as a supporter to see it all coming together nicely. But it's an interesting dynamic. It always is. And you've got four kind of slightly independent you know, rugby cultures, four provinces and the way they approach and, you know, influences from different coaches coming from overseas and um, and then what non-Irish qualified players. It's just a melting pot of kind of different perspectives on how they play the game, put those into into Ireland and then you've got different influences there. So it's I think it's fascinating to see how that works. One of the things, uh, there was a, a documentary on television this week that you made with uh, Barry Murphy, uh-huh. former rugby player who you have, you have a podcast with and you were looking at this whole question of nuanced and complex identities on the island of Uh Ireland. When you think back to your own playing days, I mean, you would have played in that Ireland versus England game in Croke Park. Mm -hmm. Uh, that That was kind of different and a bit special for a whole load of reasons. Did, did it feel that way to you? It, it definitely felt special. Um, my way of, of kind of coping with the added intensity to that game was to suppress it. Maybe accidentally, that was maybe a, a skill of mine in that I I didn't think that much about politics, identity, related, even, you know, when I was playing, you know, as, as a, as a grown-up and having, you know, my own opinions, I, I was just completely focused on playing rugby. And for me that day, the way to kind of um, stamp that day as making it more special or, or, you know, give more credibility to the day or, get, you know, make it what it should have been was to um, produce a winning performance. As, as someone coming from a unionist community in, in around Coleraine, um, what was it like playing for Ireland and listening, you know, in Dublin, let's say, to Iron Levine? And did, you know, how, how did you feel about that? I didn't didn't overthink it at all. Again, my my um, my thesis was um, just be as good as you can be on the pitch. And for me, it, it was a song that my teammates sung. It was a song that I didn't sing at the time. Really, the main reason why I didn't sing it is because I didn't want to get a hard time. Didn't want anybody to be you know in touch with me, give me you know. Give me kind of and negative. Do you think you would have? You probably, you probably would have. I think, I think you probably would have. It would have been unusual, um, and I just didn't want to put my head above the parapet. I didn't want to draw attention to myself. Granted, if you're the only one, as you would have been back in the day, maybe uh, one of you know one or two Ulster players. You, you know, the, you are the odd one out. But in terms of Ulster players, they've, they've, most Ulster players never sing it, and um, I just didn't want to cause any trouble for myself. Do you think a lot? Do you have any strong views about? the direction that 
Ireland as an island is going or where it may go in the future? Would you like to see something like a united Ireland? Would you very much not like to see that? Um, I'd be certainly be, be open to the idea, but I think we need more time. I think um, one of the things that we tried to shine a light on um, in the documentary is that there are certainly certainly two communities anyway that know very little about each other. Certainly, also, I mean, Ulster Scots was foreign to me. How much more foreign is it going to be to to people down south and um, in in areas where they just assume, you know, they assume kind of what they see maybe in the news, and um, there's a lot more to it. And ultimately, I think if if we can just even suggest that those conversations should start now, those conversations will lead to more understanding, um, just more of a wider perspective in terms of what people that we don't know, what they think and what's, what's um, important to them. Was it difficult to come to terms with rugby career being over? It's a difficult transition for people to make when it comes mm. to an end. It's a challenging transition. It is. It, it definitely is. And it's, again, you know, we're talking about identity, but a different, whole different type of identity, right? Who are you and what do you stand for? You, you know, you have to strip everything back. The way to make yourself the best rugby player you can be is just to strip everything back. Everything else is, is a distraction. So just focus on being the best rugby player you can be. But what does that do? It makes you one-dimensional. Whenever you don't have rugby anymore, then what are you? So I find that, you know, kind of philosophical position quite interesting. Um, I was kind of lucky I suppose that I had something that I was interested in it didn't quite like the Kairos project didn't quite become a passion at this stage it developed and became you know became very passionate about it in terms of the the business the the challenge that came with that and all of the personal challenges that come with that right and having done that and built it successfully and now sold on the company would what would you like to do in the future would you like to start up another company or what, what are your plans uh, I, I'm enjoying at the minute so that transition um, from Kairos into Teamworks I'm enjoying you know whenever you're the founder of a, a startup trying to get a product to market it's bananas constantly you're thinking about marketing you're thinking about um, product roadmap you're thinking about sales pipeline everything you know runway running out of cash investment everything and you have to have a hundred different hats on and it's very very difficult to be very good at one of them and it's also very difficult to be strategic and think long term where is this business going to go and this is the first time in years that I've had the opportunity to be less cluttered day to day but think more strategically how can I add, add value and how can Kairos add value and how can Teamworks be as good as we can possibly be and big, be as big as we can be It takes a lot of confidence first of all on the rugby field you know you can have a lot of belief in your own abilities and what you can and cannot do but to really step up and, and to take a career to the level that you did it, it takes confidence and then it takes a confidence as well to to build up a business like Kairos was that something that you always had or did you have to work at that no I didn't I didn't always have that confidence confidence was always a, an issue with me and I've heard this is not uncommon a lot of guys even the Netflix documentary I've heard guys talking about you know imposter syndrome and every every match day warm up I, I kind of do your warm up and you go back into the change room I just always felt like rolling my eyes and going, why did I do this to myself? This is so stressful and I'm feel, I feel under pressure every week, every single week. So how did you get over it? Yeah, I, 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 well, Joe Schmidt was very good for me. Joe Schmidt kind of simplified um, uh, how to perform, basically. Um, I don't need to, you know, 
I just need to be myself, be the best version of myself, simplify if I can do this, 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 and this, you know, identify four or five things that's going to make me be able to contribute to the team effort. So that was the, like, kind of practically, you know, was really good for me. And then I thrived under under Joe Schmidt. It was the best couple of years of my career. But as well as that, outside of that, I, um, had, had you know, a couple of things happened that allowed me to, to really kind of buy into, you know, backing myself. My dad always told me, back yourself and I often didn't take his advice but he meant carry the ball rather than pass the ball and uh, I had to educate dad you know you're watching a different game that guy's in a lot more space than me so <laughs> but generally you know back yourself is a really positive message to give kids and, um, and what about standing up to possible pres- uh, investors in the company mm. or customers or doing presentations did that come easily to you? So yeah so I um, I went back to, to university and studied whenever we had uh, you know, a three-year-old and, a, and a, a newborn at home. So it was really, really tough when I was busy um, with, with rugby as well. Went back and studied finance. I'd never studied finance before, as I said, physics and theology. Physics, theology and finance, I think that's the unique. No one's ever studied those three before. But went back and did a master's in finance. I thought, okay, this is something completely different to me. I have no right to be good at it, but I'm just going to back myself, fake it till you make it, back yourself. And I ended up doing really well at it. I thought, right, let, learn a lesson from this. You can, you can do stuff if 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 you if you commit to it and you kind of really back yourself, you can be successful. Then a couple of years later, Les Kiss um, selected me as a club captain for Ulster. Anybody who knows me, I'd be quietly spoken. I'd be, I'm not necessarily, a, you know, I'd lead by action, but I wouldn't necessarily be the Paul O'Connell in the in the change room with a rising speech. You know, that's not my style. But again, something different to me. Throw yourself into it, commit to it, and back yourself, and ultimately. No one would look at that season where I shared captaincy with Rob Herring and said that was a successful season. But for me, I know that I grew a lot and I grew in confidence. Do so those the, rousing speeches actually work? <laughs> well, when Paul O'Connell's given them, they do. I mean, if that, if, I would love, I love every now and again just to have a Paul O'Connell speech. Um, you should be, have him on tape and to just be exposed, play it every now and again. To be exposed to that, that'll get you going. Um, but yeah, those two two examples, and then Joe Schmidt from a practical end and, and, and rugby specifically, were reminders to me just to back yourself. So despite all of those things I was just describing, moving out of rugby, everything I ever knew was rugby, moving into business, starting up a, a tech, um, a sports tech product from scratch, and having to learn a million different things, it, those two things were reminders to me. You don't know them now, but you will know them, and you'll be successful. You have is it, is it two kids, Andrew? Three, three nine. kids, boys, girls. Yeah, we kept going, yeah, um, boy, girl, girl. And are they interested in rugby? Uh, the boy is. Um, the girl, the Molly, the the six year old. She um, went along to a couple of days uh, training. The ball hit her in the nose one day. And that was the end of it. You started her early. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I might have started it too early because, um, yeah, she never, never committed to it. But would you, would you like um, at least one of them to to play regularly or play a lot or go on to do yeah. something? Yeah, Jack, uh, my eight year old, he, he loves his rugby, and um, he's he quite he's quite like me. He likes to rough and tumble, likes to make tackles. He's quite tough, and uh, and he loves it. Well, Andrew Trimble, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us on the program. Thanks a lot.